0: Chapter 15, Part 2 of The Hunters of the Hills. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. The Hunters of the Hills by Joseph A. Altschiller. Chapter 15, The Vale of the Onondaga. Part 2 meanwhile the thirty-six visiting sachems formed themselves in a circle with tododaho highest of the onondagas in rank among them and facing the sun which was rising in a golden sea above the eastern hills presently the onondaga lifted his hand and the hum and murmur in the great crowd that looked on ceased then starting towards the north the sachems moved with measured steps around the circle three times every one of them carried with him a bundle of faggots and in this case half of the bundle was red and half white. When they stopped, each sachem put his bundle of faggots on the ground, and sat down before it, while an assistant sachem came and stood behind him. Tododaho took flint and steel from his pouch, set fire first to his own faggots, and then to all the others, after which he took the pipe of peace, lighted it from one of the fires, and drawing upon it three times, blew one puff of smoke toward the center of the heavens, another upon the ground, And the last directly toward the rising sun he gives thanks whispered tayoga to robert first to manitou who has kept us alive next to our great mother the earth who has produced the food that we eat and who sends forth the water that we drink and last to the sun who lights and warms us robert thought it a beautiful ceremony full of idealism and he nodded his thanks to tayoga while he still watched tododaho passed the pipe to the sachem on his right who took the three puffs in a similar manner and thus it was passed to all the entire act requiring a long time but at its end the fourteen onondaga sachems and the thirty-six visiting sachems sat down together and under the presidency of tododaho the council was opened but little will be done today said tayoga it is merely what you call at the albany school a preliminary the really great meeting will be after the maple dance and then we shall know what stand the hodenosaunee will take in the coming war Robert turned away and came face to face with St. Luc. He had known that the Chevalier was somewhere in the Vale of Onondaga, but in his absorption in the Iroquois ceremonies, he had forgotten about him. Now he realized with full force that he had come to meet the Frenchman and to measure himself against him. Yet he could not hide from himself a certain gladness at seeing him, and it was increased by St. Luc's frank and gay manner. I was sure that we should soon meet again, Mr. Lennox, he said. "'and it has come to pass as I predicted and hoped. "'And you too, Mr. Willet. "'I greet you both.' He offered a hand to each, and the hunter, as well as Robert, shook it without hesitation. "'You reached Quebec and fulfilled your mission,' he said, giving Robert a keen look of inquiry. "'Yes, but not without event,' replied the youth. "'I take it from your tone that the event was of a stirring nature. "'It was rather a chain of events. "'The Ojibway chief, Tandakora, whom we first saw with you, "'objected to our presence in the woods.' st luc frowned and then laughed for that i am sorry he said i would have controlled the ojibway if i could but he is an unmitigated savage he left me and did what he chose i hope you do not hold me responsible for any attacks he may have made upon you mr lennox not at all monsieur but as you see we have survived everything and have taken no hurt quebec also a great and splendid city was not without stirring event not to say danger but not to heralds, for such I take you and Mr. Willet and Tayoga to have been. A certain Pierre Boucher, a great duelist, and if you will pardon me for saying it, a ruthless Bravo, also was disposed to make trouble for us. I know Boucher. He is what you say. But since you are here safe and unhurt, as you have just reminded me, you escaped all the snares he set for you. True, Monsieur de Saint-Luc, but we have the word that the fowler may fall into his own snare. Your meaning escapes me boucher the duelist and bravo will never make trouble for anybody else you imply that he is dead boucher dead how did he die a man may be a great swordsman and he may defeat many others but the time usually comes when he will meet a better swordsman than himself yourself why you're but a lad mr lennox and skilful as you may be you're not seasoned enough to beat such a veteran as boucher that is true but there is another who was he nodded toward the hunter and the chevalier's eyes opened wide and you a hunter he said could defeat pierre boucher who has been accounted the master swordsman there is more in this than meets the eye he stared at willet who met his gaze firmly then he shrugged his shoulders and said i'm not one to pry into the secrets of another but i did not think there was any man in america who was a match for boucher well he is gone to another world and let us hope that he will be a better man in it than he was in this meanwhile we'll return to the business that brings us all here i speak of it freely since every one of us knows it well i wish to bring in the hodenosaunee on the side of france the interests of these red nations truly lie with his majesty king louis since you british colonists will spread over their lands and will drive them out your pardon chevalier de st luc but it is not so the english have always been the good friends of the six nations and have never broken treaties with them no offence was meant mr lennox "'but we do not wish to waste our energies here debating with each other. "'We will save our skill and strength for the Council of the Fifty, "'where I know you will present the cause of the British King "'in such manner that its slender justification will seem better than it really is.' Robert laughed. "'A stab and praise at the same time,' he said. "'No, Monsieur de Saint-Luc, I have no wish to quarrel with you now or at any other time. "'And while we're in the Vale of Onondaga, we'll be friends.' "'If you wish it to be so.' "'And you too, Mr. Willet." i've nothing against you chevalier de st luc although i shall fight the cause of the king whom you represent here on the other hand i may say that i like you and i wish nothing better than to be friends with you here then it is settled said st luc in a tone of relief it is a good way i think why be enemies before we must i shall see too that my good dubois becomes one of us and together we will witness the maple dance st luc's manner continued frank and robert could not question his sincerity he was glad that the chevalier had proposed the temporary friendship and he was glad too that willet approved of it since he had such a great respect for the opinion of the hunter st luc now that the treaty was made bore himself as one of their party and the dark canadian dubois who was not far away also accepted the situation in its entirety tayoga too confirmed it thoroughly and now that st luc was with him on a footing of friendship robert felt more deeply than ever the charm of his manner and talk it seemed to him that the chevalier had the sincerity and honesty of De Galationnaire, with more experience and worldly wisdom, his experience and worldly wisdom matching those of De Courcelles with a great superiority in sincerity and honesty. The three quickly became the five. Saint-Luc and Dubois, being accepted, were accepted without reserve, although Dubois seldom spoke, seeming to consider himself the shadow of his chief. The next day the five stood together and witnessed the confessions of sins in the council grove, the religious ceremony that always preceded the maple dance. Todo Daho spoke to the sachems, the chiefs, and the multitude upon their crimes and faults, the necessity for repentance and of resolution to do better in the future. Robert saw but little difference between his sermon and that of a minister in the Protestant faith in which he had been reared. Manitou was God and God was Manitou the iroquois and the white men had travelled by different roads but they had arrived at practically the same creed and faith the feeling that for the time being he was an iroquois in white man's skin was yet strong upon him many of the indian sachems and chiefs were men of great eloquence and the speech of tododaho amid such surroundings with the breathless multitude listening was impressive to the last degree its solemnity was increased when he held aloft a belt of white wampum and enumerating his own sins, asked Manitou to forgive him. When he had finished he exclaimed Nao, which meant I have done. Then he passed the wampum to Tonessa, who also made his confession, and all the other sachems and chiefs did the same, the people too joining with intense fervor in the manifestation. A huge banquet of all that forest, river, and field afforded was spread the next morning, and at noon athletic games— particularly those with the ball, in which the red men excelled long before the white man came, began and were played with great energy and amid intense excitement. At the same time the great feather dance, religious in its nature, was given by twelve young warriors and twelve young girls, dressed in their most splendid costumes. Night came, and the festival was still in progress. What the Indian did he did with his whole heart and all his strength, Darkness compelled the ball games to cease, but the dancing went on by the light of the fires, and fresh banquets were spread for all who cared. Robert knew that it might last for several days, and that it would be useless until the end for either him or Saint-Luc to mention the subject so dear to their hearts. Hence came an agreement of silence, and all the while their friendship grew. It is true that official enemies may be quite different in private life, and Robert found that he and Saint-Luc had much in common. There was a certain kindred quality of temperament they had the same courage the same spirit of optimism the same light and easy manner of meeting a crisis with the same deadly earnestness and concentration concealed under that careless appearance it was apparent that robert who had spent so much of his life in the forest was fitted for great events and the stage upon which men of the world moved he had felt it in quebec when he came into contact with what was really a brilliant court with all the faults and vices of a court one of the main objects of which was pleasure and he felt it anew since he was in the constant companionship of a man who seemed to him to have more of that knightly spirit and chivalry for which france was famous than any other he had ever met st luc knew his paris and the forest equally well nor was he a stranger to london and vienna or to old rome that robert hoped to see some day it seemed to robert that he had seen everything and done everything not that he boasted even by indirection but it was drawn from him by the lad's own questions, back of which was an intense curiosity. Robert noticed also that Willet, to whom he owed so much, never intervened. Apparently, he still approved the growing friendship of the lad and the Frenchman, and Tayoga too showed himself not insensible to Saint Luc's charm. Although he was now among his own people and in the sacred veil of which they were the keepers, he still stayed in the community house with Robert and sought the society of his white friends, including Saint Luc. I had thought, said Robert to the hunter the third morning after their arrival, that you would prefer for us to show a hostile face to St. Luc, who is here to defeat our purpose, just as we are here to defeat his. Nothing is to be gained by a personal enmity, replied the hunter. We are the enemies not of St. Luc, but of his nation. We will meet him fairly as he will meet us fairly, and I see good reasons why you and he should be friends. But in the coming war he's likely to be one of our ablest and most enterprising foes." that's true robert but it does not change my view brave men should like brave men and if it is war i hope you and st luc will not meet in battle you too seem to take an interest in him dave i like him said willet briefly then he shrugged his shoulders and changed the subject the great festival went on and the agents of Corlier and onontillo were still kept waiting the sachems would not hear a word from either as robert understood it they felt that the maple dance might not be celebrated again for years these old men warriors and statesmen both saw the huge black clouds rolling up and they knew they portended a storm tremendous beyond any that north america had known france and england and that meant their colonies too would soon be locked fast in deadly combat and the hodenosaunee who were the third power must look with all their eyes and think with all their strength while the young warriors and the maidens sang and danced without ceasing the sachems and the chiefs sat far into the night and as gravely as the Roman Senate considered the times and their needs Runners long of limb powerful of chest and bare to the waist came from all points of the compass and reported secretly One from Albany said that Corlier and the people there and at New York were talking of war, but were not preparing for it Another a Mohawk who came out of the Far East said that Shirley, the governor of Massachusetts was thinking of war and preparing for it, too A third a Tuscarora who had traveled many days from the south said that Dinwiddie the governor of Virginia was already acting He was sending men led by a tall youth named Washington into the Ohio country where the French had already gone to build forts An Onondaga out of the north said that Quebec and Montreal were alive with military preparations Onantillo was giving to the French Indians muskets powder bullets and blankets in a profusion never known before the red faggots were rapidly displacing the white and the secret councils of the fifty sachems were filled with anxiety but they hid all their disquietude from the people and much of it from the chiefs but to their eyes all the heavens were scarlet and the world was about to be in upheaval it was a time for every sachem to walk with cautious steps and use his last ounce of wisdom on the fourth night a powerful ally of saint Luc's arrived although the chevalier had not called him and did not know until the next day that he had come. He was a tall, thin man of middle years, wrapped in a black robe with a cross upon his breast, and he had traveled alone through the wilderness from Quebec to the Vale of Onondaga. He carried no weapon, but under the black robe beat a heart as dauntless as that of Robert, or of Willet or of Tayoga, and an invincible faith that had already moved mountains. Onondaga men and women received Father Philibert Drillard and knelt for his willing blessing. Despite the memories of Champlain and Frontenac, despite the long and honoured alliance with the English, the French missionaries, whom no hardships could stop, had made converts among the Onondagas, an enlightened nation with kindly and gentle instincts, and of all these missionaries, Father Drouillard had the most tenacious and powerful will. And piety and patriotism could dwell together in his heart. The love of his church and the love of his race burned there with an equal brightness he too had seen the clouds of war gathering thick and black and knowing the power of the hodenosaunee and that they yet waited he had hastened to them to win them for france he was burning with zeal and he would have gone forth the very night of his arrival to talk but he was so exhausted that he could not move and he slept deeply in one of the houses while his faithful converts watched robert encountered the priest early the next morning and the meeting was wholly unexpected by him although the frenchman gave no sign of surprise and perhaps felt none father drouillard he exclaimed i believed you to be in canada i did not think there was any duty that could call you to the vale of onondaga the stern face of the priest relaxed into a slight smile this youth though of the hostile race was handsome and winning and as father drouillard knew he had a good heart holy church sends us its servants poor and weak though we may be on far and different errands he said we seek the wheat even among the stones, and there are those, here in the Vale of Onondaga itself, who watch for my coming. Robert recalled that there were Catholic converts among the Onondagas, a fact that he had forgotten for the time, and he realized at once what a powerful factor Father Drouillard would be in the fight against him. The Chevalier de Saint-Luc has been here for some time, he said, waiting until the 50 sachems are ready to hear him in council, when he will speak for France. Mr. Willet and I are also waiting to speak for England, but the chevalier de st luc and i are the best of friends and i hope father driard that you who have come also to uphold the cause of france will not look upon me as an enemy but as one unfitting though he may be who wishes to do what he can for his country father Drial smiled again ah my son he said you are a good lad you bore yourself well in quebec and i have naught against you save that you are not of our race and for that reverend sir you cannot blame me Father Drouillard smiled for the third time. It was not often that he smiled three times in one day, and again he reflected that this was a handsome and most winning lad. Peace, my son, he said. Protestant you are, and Catholic am I. English you are, and French am I. But no ill wind can ever blow between you and me. We are but little children in the hands of the omnipotent, and we can only await His decree. Robert told Willet a little later that Father Drouillard had come, and the hunter looked very grave. Our task has doubled, he said. Now we fight both Saint-Luc and Father Drillard, the army, and the church. End of chapter 15, part 2